I wear headphones and I put brown noise on. Brown I noise. Also, yeah, it's not the same as white noise. What? It's a shitty version of white noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a shitty version. Welcome to the Two Authors Chat Show, an entertaining podcast with two best selling authors connecting readers with an eclectic array of distinguished guests through lively conversation and interviews. Hosted by mystery, suspense, and thriller writers, Douglas Pratt and Nicholas Harvey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's show, which we're calling Brown Noise. And I'm mentioning us up front because last time we forgot completely to name the show. Yes, we're, we're, we're very <laughs> professional like that. We So getting ahead of the game. <laughs> which it, it, Actually, that is kind of unusual for us. You're, you're very, very detail oriented so i don't know how you missed that i i don't know we had titles until episode five so <laughs> yeah i definitely dropped the ball so that we recovered the, the last show is, is called it's the right. episode that doesn't have a title That's right. which is a great name great name for, <laughs> for a show all right what have you been up to uh lately mr pratt oh well um just working on a with you on finishing up missing in the keys we are getting close we are so close yeah i think it's in your hands now gulf dreams is doing phenomenal doing some great sales so uh that is ridiculously good embarrassingly good you should be embarrassed i'm embarrassed for you i'm appalled i can't believe it i I was expecting it to be terrible and it came out it's actually no it's doing great it's uh i'm getting a lot of uh, good feedback from the readers which is always just phenomenal I love my readers. They're the best. So, and we share a lot of them, but mine are better than yours. So. <laughs> <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Also, I'm, I'm working on, uh, you know, while we're doing Mincing in the Keys, I've got uh, La Playa de los Muertos, which I'm really uh, enjoying working on. Uh, it's kind of fun. Like I said, I did plot this one out. So it's, it's going to be a big doozy one. And um, also going to be my first attempt to kind of take everything wide, not just on Amazon. We'll be everywhere and see how that does. Are you going to publish it wide and then drop it into KU at, uh, for a period at some point, or are you just going to go wide, stay wide? For right now, I'm going to go wide and stay wide. Uh, I, that's one of the reasons I've got my pre-order right now. So if you're like, hey, I really want to read it, but I'm in KU, I've set the pre-order for 99 cents, which is as low as I could go for it. So anybody who would normally only read it through KU can get it for less than a buck. Roll up, roll up. Hopefully they'll do it, you know, you know, just jump on it. Uh, To be clear, what we're talking about is why it means not exclusive to Amazon and available through Apple, Nook, Barnes & Noble, all those kind of things. Because if you're, uh, you have to be exclusive to Amazon to be in their Kindle Unlimited program. But I I love the Kindle Unlimited program. I think it's a phenomenal program. I know lots and lots of readers who probably couldn't afford the amount of books they have. I couldn't afford the amount of books I buy, but you can get them in Kindle Unlimited. So it's, it's a great deal, but I also have a couple of new projects I'm working on. I'm kind of keeping them on the down low for right now because they're not fleshed out yet, but uh, you'll hear a little bit more about them down the road. I'm sure. So you tease, I know (laughs) funny like that. So, Oh my God, what a tease. I know. Only though, yeah, that's about it. So how about you, sir? What have you been working on? Wait, you have something big today. <laughs> As we record this, yes, today is the release day of the Ore Verdi, the latest in the AJ Bailey series. And so I'm excited to get that that out there and uh, hopefully it does well. I need a nice swimming pool with a float and a beer and a Kindle and just not move for about six to eight hours and read that thing. <laughs> There's the visual, folks. Well, you know, I, that's what I uh, when I read Anchor Point, which was your last one. I, I was sitting on the beach in in uh, Mexico. Yeah, you I was, were. Huh? I was, that's when you I read was, it, and just sit there and plow there because yeah, AJ's awesome. This one's a lot of fun. I think uh, it got good response from the uh, beta readers, and uh, fingers crossed. I mean, I mean, it's no golf dreams. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. Well, this is a uh, number fifteen, though, isn't it? Aren't you fifteen? Fourteen. 14. This okay. is 14 released, yeah. And Lighthouse Point will be 15, which I just released on pre-order, yeah. Okay. That's a lot. So, 14 yeah, books, that. man. That's- I know. I know. It seems it's amazing. I, it, it stuns me when I look at it. I'm like, how many books have I got out there now? And I'm starting number five in the Nora series. So 
That's what I was working on this morning. First chapter's done, and I'm pretty excited about that. I have a, a side project that'll be a sort of longer term little side project that I'm working on too, because I'm jealous of Doug having a teaser. So I just threw that out there. He, he doesn't have anything. He's just pretending. So. Nothing. No, I'm making it up. <laughs> no, I do actually. I've written three chapters in it and I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. Actually, it's going to be similar, but different, but uh, I'm not ready to announce it yet. And um, uh, yeah, I'm not ready to announce All right, it. That's so. fine. No, I get it. You got to get along. Hey, this is going to be this, the same thing. You, these are these side projects. We both have the books we're going to always work on. You know, the AJ, the Chase, the Nora. So some of these other things we are more like passion projects and we want to work on them as we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I mean, as busy as we are, and we'll touch on this with our guest about um, uh, work schedule a little bit, it's full time what we do, right? So we're putting out you know, um, I put out two books in each series a year, plus we're doing a Missing in the Keys. Plus over the last two years, I've done quite a lot of collaboration stuff for the Tropical Authors. So I've kind of filled that spot with this uh, new series that I'm going to do. So I expect to do one book a year. So it'll be a slow, slow release, but it's exciting to have another, another group of characters. Yeah, those, those are fun. When you get, when you get something new to start, it, it is kind of a- Exciting. Yeah, cool. Well, how about a question? I've got a question. Let's for have you. a question. Yes. What do you got? All right. Our question looks like it comes from Bob down in Vero Beach, Florida. Nice, Beach. nice, nice place yes. in the world. Could somebody do surfing down in Vero Beach? Maybe Probably. Uh, anyway, his question is uh, Can you tell us how you go about researching the Caribbean locations featured in your books in order to create the very realistic and believable scenarios? Pretty sure he's talking to you. My books are not believable or realistic. So. <laughs> I don't think they're completely unrealistic. And they do completely have Completely unrealistic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you don't disagree. Like, yeah. But you've got some great locations. Oh, I do. Yeah, no. Some of the locations is fun. So. But you answer first. How do you go about doing your research other than you live in Bonaire. So yeah, I live there. <laughs> well, the Cayman Islands has been um, what we called our second home for over 20 years. So both my main series are based in the Cayman Islands, although I do feature other, other locations. And I do take them away from uh, uh, time to time, but uh, we've spent many years traveling and staying in the Cayman Islands, especially on Grand Cayman. So, and over those years, First of all, we learned a lot about the island, the geography, various areas and what have you. We owned a, a place down there for quite a long time. We built great friendships with so many people there. So I have, I have this wonderful lady who, um, uh, Casey Keller, her and her husband, Keith, used to run Neptune's Divers in the Cayman Islands. And we, would, we dove with them from the mid-2000s on exclusively. Every time we'd go down, we'd just dive with them. They ran a little six-pack boat. And uh, it was fantastic. I did my dive master program with Casey and, and I call her my Caymanpedia because uh, if I want to know when I'm researching, if I want to know anything, I message, I WhatsApp Casey and I'm like, hey, such a ask, whatever question it is. So, And the best experience, this is kind of fun. I, I'll, I'll share this with you. And she reminded me the other day, she was telling a story to somebody. So she now works for the Department of the Environment. So they pulled their boats out of the water and stopped uh, running their dive operation. God, I don't know, five, five or six years ago, somewhere around there. And she works for the DOE. And so she drives around in a truck or a boat, depending on what she's up to that day around the island, taking care of various things to do with the water and coastline and what have you. So I messaged her one day and said, hey, I'm looking on you know, Google Maps and I see this location. I'm in, in West Bay. I've got this motorcycle chase scene with AJ on her motorcycle and Nora. I want to take them through this trail, but I can't tell what the heck this is. And she said, send me a screenshot. I sent her a screenshot of the map. She said, I'm out in my truck. I'll go there. She drives over and goes down and she says, it's, it's a cemetery. And it looked from above because they've got all these mausoleums, right? These big concrete mausoleums. It's right by the coast of floods. She says, yeah, it's this cemetery. It's brilliant. It's, I'm like, oh my God. So I'm writing this scene. I'm like, okay, if they turn right here and they go across here, what, what do they come to? And she's like walking down the trail with her phone, messaging me back going, okay, this, the, and now it turns to dirt and yeah, there's room through there. They could make it to the coastline. And then it turns to this. And then it comes out at Cobo Coast Resort down the road. I'm like, perfect, brilliant. They'll ride down there and they, you know, chase this people and everything else. And that's how the whole scene came about. And I am literally writing it 
the scene real time on on my laptop while Casey is pre-running it, describing the setup. So that's the kind of relationships you build and uh, over time. And currently, you know, we've been in Bon Air for quite a f- uh, few months now. And so I've decided to make Lighthouse Point, which will be the next book in the AJ series. I'm going to base it in, here in Bon Air. AJ is going to take a trip away from Cayman. Uh, I mean, I've already figured out a little bit of backstory that I want to do for it. So, uh, so that's kind of fun. So yeah, I try and visit, but otherwise, heck, good old Google Maps is something else, right? Especially if you can take that little, the little yellow guy that you drag across the screen and he wiggles his legs and you drop him in a spot and you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always so pissed off when you drop him and there's nothing there. The little blue line doesn't come up and they haven't mapped that part. Yeah. It's like, ah, damn it. Can't see what's That's there. That's when I make it up. See, I would I don't call somebody to go walking through the cemetery while I'm doing it. <laughs> That's like a second level of like, yes, that is a type A personality right there. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean that's that's I, mine's very similar. I know I don't have a I don't have a Wikipedia that walks around for me, but um, the Google Maps <laughs> is great. If I don't visit it uh, for Playa that I'm working on now, like Ashley and I went down and we spent a week and a half in Puerto Vallarta and just kind of explored it. And I had some chase scenes I wanted to do, so I kind of walked them and we saw what they looked like. It's funny talking about Google Maps as I was mapping it out and outlining the story. I was trying to refresh my memory running through Google Maps and I have a apartment complex. So I was like, yeah, I want to do this apartment. And when I went to go look at it on Google Maps, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That's a great one. And then I look at it from a different angle. And it turns out they tore it down a year ago <laughs> and rebuilt it. So when you're on Google Maps on one corner, it looks like the old apartment, which is what I want on the next corner. It's these brand new condos. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, that sucks. I got to go find a new a new building and kind of change everything up. But, uh, you know, and so visiting is great. Some of them, I, I completely use Google maps when I did Havana sunrise. Um, cause it's kind of tough to get to Cuba, you know, so sometimes you got to kind of rely on, on that and it helps a lot. But, uh, this, as we were just writing a scene in Key West for missing any keys and a lot of the little blue dots did not go, everywhere I wanted them to go in that marina. That we're uh, right yeah. in, so. Hey, we, we used our Key Westpedia there. We uh, reached out on some of the harbor details to, uh, obviously I've lived in, uh, I lived in Key Largo, which is a hundred miles from Key West, but we'd go down, we'd been down to Key West a couple of times, but still I've got some friends in the Keys who, are, who know the areas real well. So that was great. We were, we were mapping out a scene of what's a ha- happened with a certain uh, vessel down there, get hold of a contact down there. It's neat to have those resources. And run it, you know, run it, Running the Google map technology is, is great for that nowadays. Like even if you're just you're interested in seeing the world, you can kind of walk around in Google Maps and see anything. To me, that's just it's fascinating how small we've gotten. All right, let's move on to this week's interview because uh, I think we're both a little excited about this. It'll be with a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author Lisa Regan. Her suspense thriller detective series, Josie Quinn is her main protagonist. It's a mainstay at the top of all the charts in Thriller. That series started quite a few years ago now. It's been running for a while, and she's up to around 19. I think she said she's writing 19. And we'll talk to her about where that's heading in the series. And look at you I on know, 14. But I wish I was selling as many as Lisa Regan <laughs> <laughs> is. <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, let's chat with Lisa. And welcome to the show, Lisa. How are you doing today? Great. How are you? Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And it's uh, it's storming there in Pennsylvania. I think it's storming everywhere. I just talked to Sullivan, Nick Sullivan, a friend of ours, before he came over, and he's in uh, New Jersey, and uh, he's having a new roof put on his house. So today, it's like Armageddon storm is happening (laughs) over its place as they're trying to put a roof on it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into writing uh, and a little bit about your journey, which I'm sure is a interesting one, uh, as you're now this mega author doing incredibly well, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I have to go way back because I, as soon as I was able to pick up a pen and know what letters were, I, I was always scribbling stories, characters, poems. And then when I was 11, one of my parents brought home a typewriter started using that. I wrote my first book on that, which was 140,000 words. My Josie Quinn books, if you pick up one of those, they're like 80, 90,000 words. So if you can imagine. And then I went to college just for English, not really knowing what that would look like after I graduated. 
and I was writing, you know, just writing the whole time. And then I went to, I went to graduate school for education thinking I would teach. And then in the <laughs> student teaching portion of, of that, and I realized it was just not for me. Not because of the kids. The kids were great. But when I looked around- For me, it would be the kids. <laughs> She's like, it's not the kids, I promise. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I had a good student teaching assignment. The kids were, were great. Although the first day that I student taught, I was so nervous that I was sweating profusely. And all of the kids felt the need to point that out. <laughs> Even more, I'm really sweating. God, you funny. Yeah. I was like, oh, thanks. Kids. <laughs> Nothing more humbling than children to bring you down to yourself. So, yeah. I just looked around at all of my student teaching, like my colleagues that I had gone through the grad school program with, and they were super into it, you know, wanting to be there at 5 a.m. and leave at 9 p.m. And I was like, I just like, I want to leave at three and go home and write. So I just didn't, I just didn't, I didn't get certified. I got my degree and everything, but I didn't teach. And then I got a job as a paralegal with a solo practitioner who did not go to trial very often because that is very time consuming. And so basically I could work all day and then write in the evenings. And then even with, with my daughter, you know, when she was younger, she would go to bed at a pretty reasonable time. So I would have plenty of time to write. And then I started querying agents in 2006 and took four years, 154 rejections until I got an agent. <laughs> yeah. How many? <laughs> yeah, 154. Wow. That's a good yeah. batting average right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, the difference between you and, uh, and millions of others is you landed a deal at the end of it. Yep. Yes. Yeah, yes. Which is great. Which is great because I was like really literally running out of agents to query. <laughs> People yeah. send it to. Is there anyone just fresh out of college starting like query, you know? <laughs> Sending it to librarians. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Start at the bottom because they probably won't remember me after four years. Right. Yeah. This whole time I'm still writing and I'm watching like my other writer friends get deals and get published and I get the agent and I'm like, this is great. I will, I will have a book deal in six months. And, um, two years went by, <laughs> um, we're down to like the last publishers that exist. A lot of the houses loved the book we were pitching, which was my first book, Finding Claire Fletcher. Didn't think it was realistic, even though it was literally based on real things that had happened. <laughs> it's like literally my agent was like, Oh, you don't think it's realistic? Um, let me list this half dozen real life cases right. that are right. identical to these. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, 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 no. So yeah, it took two years and then this new publisher opened and they loved it. They took it. They took my second book, which of course, you know, I had had plenty of time to write. The first book did well for a tiny, tiny publisher that's new and doesn't have much of a budget. And then between the first and the second book coming out, they closed. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Like I had some pretty good momentum. It wasn't great, but it was something. And so they kind of said to me, you know, like, we'll leave the books on the market, we'll leave them up for the duration of your contract, but we're not, we're not really operating. So they kept hold of the, the rights still. They offered me the rights back. Okay. But there was a lot, like I said, there was momentum building right. and I didn't want to lose it. And I was still going to get royalties. Yeah, I got so you. it was kind of like, okay, we'll leave them up for mm -hmm. sale until I figure out what, what I want to do. And then in the meantime, I had written yet another book. I didn't want to spend six years <laughs> <laughs> waiting for something to happen. Right. So I said to my agent, you know, like, hey, here's this new book. If you don't want to sign me for this book, that's fine. But if you do, if you can't sell it in nine months, I want it back and I'm going to self-publish it. And she would not agree to that. It okay. was like three months off the contract, but she didn't want to do that. Hmm. So I was like, no problem. I'll just self-publish it. I self-publish it. And then a month later, I get an email from an editor at Thomas and Mercer, which by the way, I thought was a prank. And uh, I would, um, yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they sent me an email, I would think it was yes. a prank. 
<laughs> I was deep diving to see if this person really worked for Thomas and Mercer. Yeah, LinkedIn, and, uh, you're like all over the place. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who is this person? How long have they been? You know, will Thomas and Mercer admit that they work for them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they love the third book. They wanted to, you know, take it and give it a new cover and publish it uh, under their imprint. So naturally I said, yes. And then, you know, that did even better than the, than the first two books and kind of gave them a little lift. And I just, at that point in my life, I was just kind of a really super slow writer. And the editor kept saying to me, you know, you really need to write a sequel, really need to do this. And I was like, well, I'll get to it when I get to it. You know, I have this family and this other job. And, and by the time I wrote it, my editor, the president, everyone from top to bottom that I knew at Thomas and Mercer had left and been replaced by other people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I still, I think it was, I even forget who was president then because it's not the same person now, but I contacted them and I said like, oh, hey, you guys published one of my books. Could you look at this? And they were great. You know, they said, of course, we'll look at it, but they didn't really like it. And the the first book hadn't done well enough to justify this publishing a sequel. So I self-published that. And then I did get my rights back to the first two and I self-published those. Every, I mean, everything was fine. I wasn't certainly breaking any records. I had some readers. I had a small following and I had written a sequel to my first book just because so many of my readers wanted one. And then after I finished it, like it, my writer friends read it and they were like, you should really, you should pitch this to somebody. Cause it's, you know, like, it's really good. It's better than your other books. And so I looked around and it was like, well, I already had a contact with Thomas and Mercer. I was very happy with, you know, the job that they did. And then there was also book of and I had read a bunch of their authors and loved, loved their stuff. And so I pitched it to both and book of said, no, Thomas and Mercer said, yes. So they published those. They actually took the first book back, you know, and republished that and the sequel. And then I was still in contact with Bookature and the editor was like, you know, really love your stuff. And these weren't right for us, but what else have you got? And then I just sent her like every single thing, every like, <laughs> just stuff like written on scrap paper, you know, every <laughs> idea I had, had ever had like in my life. Some of the ideas were literally a sentence. Some of them were 30 pages, you know, and I just sent her everything. And she chose one that turned out to be Josie Quinn. And so you were with um, Book Couture from the moment you started doing Josie Quinn. Yes. And I actually wrote that book without any guarantee of a, of a contract. She just liked the, she liked the idea. And she said, if you can write this and, you know, two proposals for two more books in a series, like then we'll talk. And so I, uh, that's what I did. And then did they sign you up for the three or did they sign you up for longer? No, they signed me up for the three. And, you know, like in my experience that <laughs> up to that point, I was like, oh, this is great. They'll publish these three books. By the end, they'll be sorry that they did. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just be looking for, you know, another avenue to publication. Little did you know. Yeah. I, and the first book came out and actually the first, it had a different cover when it first came out. Wasn't doing well at all, you know, which I totally expected. <laughs> they were like, you know, like this isn't cool. So they changed the cover and like overnight sales doubled. Yeah. And it just, incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. And then actually, I mean, that book did okay. But then the second book did really, really well. And then people started to go back and read the first one. And so by the time the third one came out, it was like, I think that was on the USA Today for like nine weeks or something. Really? Awesome. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, because then I said to my editor, oh, let's see if we can do 10. And of course, then it fell off. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the three did well. And then, then they signed you again for more. For three, three more. And then I, th I think it was like four or five, numbers four and five came out and did really well. And then I think the next contract was for six. Then, then they offered me a contract for eight. So that was a total of 20. And then last fall, they came to me and said, we want to sign you again. You know, and it was kind of like, you know, how many books do you want to write for us? And, and I was like, I like, I love writing for them. I was like, I don't know as many as you'll let me. Right. <laughs> nice. So we settled on, on 15 
And I was happy with that. So that'll be 35 books in that series. Yes. If readers are still into Josie. Yeah. You know, you get to book 25 and readers are like, I am done with this. I've got a whole bunch of other ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Scraps and scraps of paper, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So now I've got, I'm casting a question here. So you, you earlier, you said you, you're a slow writer. So now, now you have 15, 35 books to write. So that means you've got deadlines. And how does that affect the pressure you, how you feel with writing? So. Well, I was a slow writer. You were. Yes. Mostly because I used to just not have a, there was no plan. It was just like, girl is found in the park dead. Go. (laughs) (laughs) It was super inefficient. Yes. I write that way now and it drives Nick insane. (laughs) We're we're writing a series together that we just started and I'm a, he's a pantser through and through and I'm a, a plot pantser mix. I'm converting over. I'm converting over to planning, uh, to outlining now. I'm, I, I I'm bringing him to the dark side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's what happened. I, I was like, I can't. I was like, write three books a year now, and I was like, I can't just wing it, you know. So I spend a lot of time working on the outline and thinking things through and chatting with my editor, and that and that makes it a lot easier. You're plotting the books themselves, and you said like the next couple. Are you plotting ten out? Like, are you starting to plot the arc of uh, uh, some of the characters and storylines? And well, well, yeah, it's ten ahead because we—I had not started writing seventeen when when we when we had our big planning session, and we planned out to twenty-seven. And so I'm writing nineteen now, and we've adjusted things a little. You know, I am able to get on a call and talk to my editor at any time, and and there was we, we had talked about doing a prequel for book twenty, and then. Um, the response from fans didn't seem that enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay, we won't do it. We'll just go right to whatever the next book in the, in the queue is. And so that's what we, that's what we do. So like with, with your, uh, your fans and your read, what, what do you think are like um, your readers are looking for in thrillers and, and those kind of tropes? And do you get that kind of feedback from them? Cause you've got a good, good relationship with your fans. Correct. So. Oh yeah. They're the best. They're the best. They're super, super engaged, which I love. The thing I've noticed is that they tend to care more about the series regular characters than they necessarily do about the adventure or the mystery in any particular book. So what I try to do is whatever mystery that your case that Josie and team are trying to solve, I try to make it, you know, I try to make them connect to it on a personal level in some way or have the case affect them emotionally in some way so that you're getting those high emotional stakes along with the technical high stakes of trying to solve the crime. Have you had readers like up in arms about something you've done with uh, Josie? Well, (laughs) in book, I think it was book, yes, book from book five to six, she was having a rough patch with her then boyfriend, Noah. And I literally got stopped on the street by readers while I was walking my dog. And they were like, don't do it. Don't do this to Josie. Don't break them up. This is all Josie has. She has to have something good in her life. Well, I'm already fascinated because I'm reading Vanishing Girls and she just shot Noah. Right. right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's good to know that they get that they sort that out. They, they work through out. it. It's like marriage. It's like marriage right there. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe I've ever got back together with anyone I shot before. <laughs> that's not that's because you didn't love them. If you loved them, you'd get them back together. That's the way <laughs> that's the way love. love works. True love is doesn't matter whether you shot or not. So Right, right. <laughs> you can overcome that. You can overcome <laughs> Josie was like, it was a well-placed shot. I mean, come That's on. right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. See, see, she, she shot with care and precision, that kind of thing you only do when you love someone. I mean, my wife That's would right. use a shotgun, so she made sure I didn't get back up. But. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be picking up pieces. <laughs> I love the way in books and in movies, we like, we have people shoot people and they're like, oh dear, oh dear. I'd be like, oh, shut up. <laughs> 
<laughs> we wouldn't be getting over I mean, it anytime flailing soon. around in the floor, like bleeding and people like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not jumping up and running to the next oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. And, our our heroes okay. are always, our heroes always get shot in this. You know, all right, we got at least 20 more pages to go through. So. And it <laughs> never hits bone. <laughs> never. Never no. once does it hit bone. No, it's no. just a through and it's through. Just it's through good. Through. good. <laughs> I'll plug my finger in it and keep going. <laughs> right. Yeah. Never stutters an artery or anything. No, never does no. any of that. No. It's like, <laughs> you know, my, my character's gotten shot, had on the shot, broken ribs and broken everything. I called you out the other week. I know you did. You told me that. I'm like, like, he's got a broken rib. Have you ever had a broken rib? I've had a broken rib. You can't breathe. You can't live. You can't exist. You just sit there. You're not a hero. I know. I'm a wimp. (laughs) You're just a writer. (laughs) I know. My wife tells me. (laughs) Don't don't let her shoot you. You might. (laughs) Yeah, I don't recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God! Uh, All right, we, 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 uh, where were we? Uh, we were talking about you were accosted on the street by, by yeah. a reader. So you have a, a Doug. Doug touched on it. You have a great rapport. I follow you on social media and stuff. Don't worry, it's not creepy. I, lots of people do. It. <laughs> and Mr. Philip is your hero. Can you talk about Mr. Philip? Yeah, he's this um, fat little Boston Terrier who runs our household with an iron paw. <laughs> Um, he just, he, he's so, he's been literally, he has been next to me. I've written 21 books with him pressed against my side. That's impressive. That's inspiration. Yeah. And he's very, he's funny because if I'm not writing, I mean, he demands all the attention and he's got like a list of demands and, um, (laughs) you know, it's like we have to walk at this time. I demand some carrots. I would like to go out and lay on my lounge chair now. It's a whole thing. But when I'm writing, he will he won't go to the bathroom. He won't. My husband even has tried to call him and give him snacks. And he's like, no, not right now, dad. Oh my <laughs> God. Writing. <laughs> and you've taught him to open boxes. Didn't you just post a video of you got a box of, uh, of print books and he starts opening them? Yes. yes. He is super smart. Actually. He's like, if you say to him, he'll be looking for something and I'll know, I'll say like, he's looking for his Kong and I'll say to him, you know, you left it upstairs in mommy's office and he'll run up to the office and get it and come back with it. You might have to explain what a Kong is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, explain it's like, yourself, Regan. Explain uh, yourself. I know what a Kong is. It's a really cool thing that you put peanut butter in so that the dogs can play with it and get the peanut butter out, you know? Yes. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't use it for that. He just he uses it like a tennis ball. That's fair. So it's That's this fair. oddly shaped thing that you it just bounces and like you never know which direction it's going to go in. So I apologize. I apologize for Nick. He has a he's British and he has a dirty mind. But apologize for me. You just said dogs and peanut butter. I mean, <laughs> I, what? what the, why does your mind go back to that? So, <laughs> I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking. Right. I'm talking to your mom. So. <laughs> well, yeah. While we're on the subject, um, this is uh, this is a lot of fun. But poor Doug just lost one of his dogs. Of how old? Thirteen. She was no. She was she was about two months shy of sixteen. Sixteen. That's it. Oh my god. Yeah. Just the other day. Yeah. We, we had a. She. She was been. She was great. I mean, she was a fabulous dog. She just. Um, she just kind of uh, was actually was out with my kids walking through the pasture. Came in and went down and turned out she's had a tumor. We knew it was kind of close. She's 16. She's a big dog. So Oh, that's so sad. sad. So Sorry, mate. I will uh, I will probably memorialize her at some point in one of my books. So, cause, uh, name a, name a, you have to buy a new boat. The, my, char- my, my main character lives on a boat. The name is Karina. And Karina was her sister who passed away like five years ago. So now I got to figure out how to put her in there too. So kind of give her a little mem- <laughs> memorial. So. <laughs> So apart from uh, Mr. Philip being your uh, inspiration, do you have a writing area, like a study? Do you have like a vibe, like surroundings? Do you have music? What do you do to write? Can you just write anywhere or? I can write anywhere because I did for many, many years. I still to this day will tell you that a doctor's waiting room is the best place to write. Because <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is no other stimulation. It's That's true. It's like you are sitting here waiting, staring at a magazine that came out 10 years ago. Oh, and probably characters you can describe too. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But now I have I, I have an office and I have my, I sometimes sit at my desk, but more, but like Philip was not happy with that. So I had to buy a bigger chair that we could sit in together. And so <laughs> I sit in, cause before we Iron moved Paul. into this house, Iron Paul. <laughs> yes, Iron Paul, that's right. Philip gets what he wants. 
before we moved in here, I used to sit on our love seat just with my laptop in my lap and, and write like that. And he would be right next to me. So I had to come up with this chair and we sit in it together. I wear headphones and I put brown noise on. Brown I noise. Also, yeah. It's not the same as white noise. Well, it's a shitty version of white noise. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say fart sounds. That's all I could think is fart sounds. <laughs> you didn't anticipate this when you came on the show, did you? I was going to say, my dog provided that noise on his own, so I don't know. Yeah, that comes from Mr. Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you better explain what brown noise actually is. Well, Chelsea Kane told me about it because I have ADHD, and she had told me that brown noise helps people with ADHD. And I went on, you just like go onto YouTube and you can find it. And it just immediately settles everything in my brain. It's the, really the strangest thing. There's something about it. I can feel like the, the like in my brain, like just settling. And then I can focus. Oh, wow. And I also use um, a timer because I get distracted very easily. So I'll set it for, I start with 10 minutes and then, you know, it'll go off in 10 minutes. And then if I want to take a break, I can, but usually by that time, I'm, I just keep resetting it like a snooze button. Do you kind of do you use it like, I'm going to call it that Pomodoro, like you do 10 minutes at a time and then take. It's exactly that. But I was finding that like the 20, 25 minutes were to start with were too long. Oh yeah. That's fair. Okay. Hmm. I was like tricking myself into staying in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have an office that's separate for in, in the house. It's a dedicated room area that helps a lot. It does. Yeah. So like, I, well, I'm going to ask, uh, you have, you're a little steamy in your books too. So, um, that's where I wanted to go. You yeah, took up a love seat. Yeah, huh? Sorry. Yeah. Yes. You were, you dealt with the brown noise. I'm going for the sex. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, I was, I was slushing reading. Yes. I guess that's a, that's a good question. Cause that's, that's something I know that, uh, well, one being, you know, it's, it's tough kind of the right. The, that kind of steam into your books with, you know, and find that right level. Tell us your techniques and stuff. And Well, my secrets are just that I had read like Karen Slaughter and Lisa Jackson and Tammy Hogue. And to me, like that just always seemed like an integral part of, of a good thriller was to have a nice steamy sex scene. And, but then well, actually after vanish, I think in vanishing girls, that is the last one because I found that readers actually don't like that. They prefer it to be like hinted at, fade to black. Yeah, you know, kind of in the same way in a movie. Yeah, the fade to black, where you know they start kissing yeah. and the door closes. Yeah, so I that is the last book with any significant steam in it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so the one I read is the Nick's like one. I'm not reading any more of them now. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough to like write that kind of uh, stuff. I think it, it really is like. I've never have. I've never got that steamy. You did in your your first series has more of it, doesn't it? Probably my third book has the most, the deep gold. But I don't I don't know if I got as much in the first. It, it got more steamy and look crossed over. Yeah, so. mine are all PG thirteen. It's interesting that readers will where they draw the line, right? I mean, you can steal little babies and and do things with them, cut throats, shoot people, stab people, cheat on people. You say the but, F word once, hmm, and they're like, oh, say the word, yeah, <laughs> say throbbing, and uh, and all of a sudden. It, it turns them off. So it's interesting. To, it's difficult to get that right, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I actually, that, that scene, I think it's the scene in the woods, I think is the most probably graphic one. Um, yes, it is. And <laughs> I literally just had a reader the other day write to me and she was like, I read up to the scene in the woods and no, <laughs> I will not be reading any more of your book. She has a thing about ticks. That's all it is. She's like, I don't, <laughs> you'll get it. You'll get ticks down there. I don't know. That's just how, how you do it in the woods. It's, yeah. There's sticks everywhere and leaves. You're all over the place. I know. It's really not practical. <laughs> it's, really, <laughs> it's like shower sex. You can't do that either. So that only works in books too. So. <laughs> she was fine with like, you know, all these teenage girls being raped and murdered and fine with people being shot and people being lured and drugged against their will. And like, all oh, that was fine. <laughs> but, you know, a little, a little bit of sex, like, I mean, that's kind of how you got here. But I mean, 
okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that, I have a, yeah, we could go on about that all day because the, uh, you know, TV and what's allowed on TV and what's not allowed on TV, I, I'm blown away by how, I don't know how we've got ourselves into this place, right? Right. You can see a naked woman if her head's chopped off or it's a lump, there's a limb missing on, on the slab of a table uh, as the, uh, you know, examiner is going over her, right? And you can see a naked breast. If it's been, you know, if she's dead and been mutilated, but a, a perfectly in shape man or woman without clothes on, oh, no, we can't have any of that now, can we? <laughs> Yeah, um, no. it's uh, it's an interesting place we've ended up. That's why you have those? That's why those special sheets that come up to the girl's neck and the man's waist. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they're lying on there. Okay, so you've got a long series now. You're well into that series. You've got a lot more books coming up in that series. How do you keep yourself, which in turn keeps your readers interested? How do you find those new stories and new ideas that uh, stimulate your imagination? Uh, it's tough. I mean, I, we go through, a, when I talk to my editor, we go through a lot of different scenarios and possibilities and premises. And it just has to be something that, that I don't get bored with. I, I, don't, I mean, there's no, other, there's no other explanation other than that, like, we talk about 20 things and I have to find the one thing that, you know, keeps me interested that I think will challenge Josie in a different way than she's been challenged before and and then by extension me um and then in the actual day-to-day writing like I just yesterday I was writing the scene in 19 I was like I'm not just really not feeling this it's kind of boring and like if I'm bored the reader will be bored and so I, I closed my laptop and I was thinking about it and then I went down to talk to my husband who is a lifelong hunter fisher you know he's been in the military has the all the outdoor survival training and all that and i i said to him you that's know a what? handy it, resource isn't it <laughs> it is the best yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. he is the best and he, you know he's lived like the super adventurous life and you know i've been sitting at this laptop so <laughs> 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 so it's great and i said to him i was and i remembered you know he had had he's had encounters with black bears a few times uh one very close encounter and i said to him i think um I think maybe, you know, this would spice things up if Josie encountered a bear. Like, we haven't done a bear yet. We've been in the Pennsylvania woods for 18 books now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're going to come across a bear at some point. And so he took me through the whole, all this, I'm like taking notes. He took me through the whole thing, you know, his encounters, other things that he's known. We looked at the Game Commission website together, you know. He told me things you're not going to find, you know, kind of in books necessarily. So, you know, it's just stuff like that. Like, I... I, I use him as a resource a lot. Or if I get stuck and I'm like, I'm just not feeling this. This is really boring to me. I talk to him. I have some other writer friends who are really good. My friend Maddie Dalrymple and Jane Kelly, they will jump on a Zoom call with me, drop of a hat to talk about plot. And of course, my editor is, is always available to me as well. That's great that you've got an editor. Uh, that's one of the things that comes with Trad. I mean, we all have editors, right? But I think that a more intimate relationship that you have through a trad published situation is is pretty interesting. And it, it's been, has it been the same editor from book one? Yes, yes, it has. And um, actually, my editor is on paternal leave this year, so I have another editor, you know, like a temporary er- editor. But um, <laughs> they were in New York in September, and we met the three of us together so that, you know, my editor could kind of hand me off and I would feel comfortable. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. That, yeah. that must be uh, a bit of a stressful segue, right? I mean, although you've laid out the what's going to be in those books um, already, I suppose. It was at first because I was thinking, you know, my editor is really used to my habits and my anxieties and, and, and my routine and how I work. Cause I, I always have like a major meltdown at some point in the first draft. (laughs) So does Nick. Don't feel bad. So (laughs) part of it. I get all cat letters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all part of being a diva. It is. (laughs) Well, you're special like that. <laughs> but uh, no, the new editor has been great and so much better than I ever could have uh, imagined. So I'm, I'm really happy. Well, hey, so I've got a question for you. So with coming up on 35 books, are there any uh, TV movie options coming up anytime soon? Can we see uh, Josie on Peacock or something? 
I would love that. No, I mean, we get phone calls or messages, I should say messages, emails and such, you know, from production companies saying we're developing projects. Are these still available? And, you know, I say yes. And then I refer them to um, Richard King does our, our rights with my publisher. I, they handle that. And, um, you know, they have conversations with him, but none of them have ever reached the point of more discussion yet. Yeah. That's a, I mean, it's all of us as writers, right? That's the dream. It's the good and the bad too, because, uh, you know, for, for some people it's fantastic and they make it into this wonderful movie with great actors and good directors. And then when you sell those rights, they pretty much go out of your control unless you're in a power position to sign a very good contract, which is pretty rare. And then if you can get you can get some people really making a mess of your manuscripts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what lies ahead? Obviously, we know there's more Josie uh, Quinn coming down the road. Is there bandwidth to, uh, to bring out something else, another series, something alongside? I mean, I have ideas, but just right now with three books a year, I just don't see it as feasible for me to... Like I'm, I love what I'm doing. I enjoy doing those three books. I'm, I'm happy with them. And, you know, if at any point that slows down, then those, those ideas are there. But I don't really feel compelled at this point to, to write anything else. And, you know, like I don't have time to do much else. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, three, three books a year in uh, through traditional publishing is uh, very fast, is it not? We're both indie, so. I think so. I mean, I know, you know, you say, oh, three books a year, that's a lot. And then the, a romance writer will pop up and go, I do 10. So then I feel like, well, I'm like a loser with my uh, <laughs> Yeah, we have a couple of authors in our genre right now that are doing a book a month. And it's, I don't know quite how they physically do that. I, I mean, we're I both know. doing four or five a year. And it's it's full-time like very, very full time. So, and I know that with through traditional publishing, there's a little more in depth with the editing process and things that go on. So they, they tend to take a little bit longer. So three is pretty, pretty busy. All right, Douglas. Yes. We have one final question for you. Um, we have a little gimmick here that we do. We have, you may have listened to us. You probably have because you're smart, but we have our wheel of questions for our final question for you. And we carry around the wheel just for the sound effects. So uh, you get the, <laughs> one day we're going to record it and I don't have to carry the wheel around anymore. So, <laughs> so anyway, we give you a spin and you can listen to it. And our last question is, what is your least favorite band or singer? Oh. No holds bar. We don't make you sing it, but if you do, that's extra points. Who comes on the radio and you're like, No. Reach for the knob right away. Oh, my God. My family could tell you immediately. But not because I dislike either of these bands. That Well, I don't – I have no feelings really at all. But just because – so our radio stations, they play these two bands all day long, every time – literally every time you're in the car and one of their songs will come on and you will change the channel and it's the same effing song on, on, the, on the on other the channel. Station. And you just <laughs> – it's every day, and it's, this is terrible, but it's Bon Jovi and Queen. Fair. And so now I have heard Bon Jovi and Queen so much that I, I just can't. I can't anymore. And, I mean, they're, they're both great, great bands, but I can't. They've just been overplayed for me now. And my husband immediately, if either one of them – well, I should say when they come on the radio, he's very fast. He's like, I know, I know, I know I'm going to get it. <laughs> Do you find your, your husband sitting in a closet with headphones on listening to Bon Jovi and Queen because he actually likes them? I don't know. I have to check. <laughs> I don't mean to bring paranoia into your marriage or anything. So that, that, that leads Poor guy. What, what is your least favorite Queen song? Yeah. Oh, oh, this is terrible. But again, just because I've heard it. Oh, I don't know. Millions of times. It's the most famous Bohemian one. Rhapsody. That's yes. it. Yes. I, I, I just can't. I can't anymore. It's too much. It's too many times. Too many times. That's, that's <laughs> fair. They do play it a lot. I don't know. We what can't... do you got, Doug? Who's yours? My least favorite band or least favorite Queen song? Um... Least favorite band. <laughs> oh, uh... <sighs> there's a couple of them, but the monkeys. I absolutely hate <laughs> the monkeys. Um, the most well-meaning, happy, joyous band of all time, 
The monkeys never heard anybody. Years and years ago, when my yeah, they did. They, first of all, they music in general is terrible. That I mean, they weren't even a real band. They made them up. <laughs> they did. Yeah. In nineteen ninety, probably nineteen ninety six, I went to the Mid South Fair here in Memphis, and um, at the time, I I was newly married. I had a baby. He was not even a year old, and we were there. My father in law and my sister in law performing at the fair so we got to go in and the monkeys were playing and my mother-in-law is a huge monkeys fan and so we go in and when you're sitting there in 1996 and the monkeys go let me play you something new you're like oh god (laughs) (laughs) so i'm holding my my you know 11 month old and he's uh he's being just perfectly good child because he was a good child and so i pinched the absolute shit out of him so he would cry and like, <laughs> let me take him out. <laughs> to which I went out and I think we you had a funnel cake together. Program. Yeah, yeah. I know it's that is a hatred right there where you abuse <laughs> your own offspring to get out of listening to the monkeys. How about you, sir? What is your absolute Oh, worst? you know mine. I want to take that flute and shove it where the sun don't shine. I cannot stand Jethro Tull. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I, I don't I'm know why. Try, trying so hard to get Jethro Toll. If anybody knows Jethro Toll and they would like to be on the show, we will have them on just to talk to them. <laughs> You'll just have to mute me the whole time. <laughs> uh, I'm going to sit in the background, muted, snapping flutes. Aqualung. Uh, Aqualung. <laughs> oh, kill me. <laughs> I would pinch a baby. <laughs> All right, Lisa, you've been uh, Thank you very much, Lisa. I'm glad you guys, you got to come on with us. It's been a blast. Well, thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you so much to Lisa Reagan for joining us. What a great episode that was. She was a hoot. She was a hoot. And it, what was really cool, she was talking about there was uh, thunderstorms in Pennsylvania where she lives. And, and every once in a while you could hear the thunderclaps in the background. It was loud, yeah. I was like, man. So that was great. No, she was awesome. So thank you very much for coming on and look forward to hear more from her. Cool. And uh, as always, uh, folks, subscribe to the show. If you wouldn't mind, give us a uh, five-star rating if, uh, if you'd uh, do us that honor. And check out the show notes that uh, come up on all the uh, podcast streaming uh, places. They'll have show notes attached. And that's where you'll find links to uh, the books, uh, our guest links, and all of our social media stuff. Anything we talked about, too. Yeah, anything we chatted about. <laughs> yeah. We'll put a link to Brown Noise for brown sure. Noise. <laughs> brown Noise. Uh, yeah, so anything we mentioned in the show. And then, uh, yeah, support the show by um, buying or, or uh, gifting our books. Yes, make sure you grab uh, Oro Verde today if you can. So, But next week, thank our, you, thank our, you. our next episode, our guest will be another big-time thriller author, Ms. Kirsten Moglin. We're on a roll, man. I know. It bears noting we're on a roll because they answer your emails. They do. I am on a roll of being not answered, <laughs> and then you send them an email send and they an email. answer you. It's just the way it is. I can't help it. You know, you are I have this charm. charm. I have this charm and suave uh, attitude. <laughs> Rico, suave. Yes, suave attitude. Right. <laughs> Look for new episodes every two weeks and get some more Rico, suave. Until then, be cool to each other. Right, fair winds and following seas. You've been listening to the Two Authors Chat Show with Nicholas Harvey and Douglas Pratt.